Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. We're at the tail end of February. Can you believe it's almost March? I love it when they do that on uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. He plays a montage of anchors and weathercasters and sportscasters all saying, can you believe it's almost St. Patrick's Day? Can you believe? Well, yeah, I can believe it. But it has been a fast February. It's almost March. We're just around the corner from the Oscars. We're going to talk about uh, some of the other award shows. They've just named the Oscar presenters. We'll talk about that. I've got reviews for you guys, all of that, and the proverbial much, much more. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. That's AmericanEagle.com, AmericanEagle.com. I'm at the, uh, the posh and solid and stellar and cutting-edge AmericanEagle.com studios just outside of Chicago as I speak to you guys. And I know uh, for those of you who are kind enough to follow me on, on the Twitter and the Facebook and the, all the other things, the Instagram, but uh, mostly the Twitter. I'm more of the generation of the Twitter. Y- you know that I can't help it like everybody else in Chicago the last week or so. We have to. It's, it's actually Chicago area, Cook County law that we uh, tweet out photos and comments about the weather. And you always hear that about Chicago weather. Those of you who are in other parts of the States or around the globe, hi to everybody. You probably know Chicago, you know, it, it's kind of fame. They called the Windy City, although it was really called the Windy City because the politicians never stopped gabbing. That's a hundred years ago. That's when it was really dubbed the Windy City. It's not that windy here. It can get very windy, but the weather is crazy. And and folks who haven't been to Chicago, they, they think it's, uh, you know, this kind of polar vortex, uh, Arctic circle place. And it can be very, very cold and we can get huge snowstorms, but we have usually beautiful summers and it can get super hot. But sometimes you'll say, oh, there's only two months in Chicago where the weather is nice. That's not true. We, you know, the autumns are usually really nice. We, and right now in February, can you believe we're almost to March? It has been, and I've lived here pretty much my whole life, one of the craziest 72-hour periods we've ever had that I've ever experienced. Crazy swings in the weather. It got up to 74 degrees Fahrenheit the other day. Folks were out in shorts and T-shirts, walking their dogs, throwing their Frisbees. Uh, the uh, tour boats on the Chicago River, the cruise ships were out. If you wanted to go on an architectural cruise or you know learn about the city's history, bicyclists, you name it. And then because you get these sudden changes in the weather, all of a sudden, you, you know, listen, I don't know the atmospheric pressure bullshit and everything. It's not bullshit. We have great weather people here that really kind of, you know, it's a great job to be a, a meteorologist in Chicago. But then all of a sudden we had like tornado warnings and incredible lightning and thunder. And now as I speak to you guys, it's like 22 degrees. It dropped 50 degrees in one day. There's your weather report. Thanks for listening. Okay, let's get to what's going on, guys. Uh, the 2024 Oscars are March 10th, just around the corner. Can you believe it? And they have uh, named a lot of the presenters now. People are excited about this. A potential Scarface reunion. Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino. I mean, if they're both going to be presenters, why would you not have them come out together? 
And we're going to talk a little bit about the SAG Awards, too. And one of the cool things they did there was, you know, reunite all different types of uh, casts from movies and TV shows. In addition to Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino, the Academy will welcome the reigning winners from last year. That's always kind of the tradition. You come back and you you get to, it's kind of your 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 swan song, your your victory lap after you're, you know, celebrating your Oscar to, to kind of welcome the, the newest entrant in, uh, in the august body of winners. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Mahershala Ali, Nicolas Cage, Jessica Lange, Matthew McConaughey. Lupita Nyong'o, Sam Rockwell, they are all, I think, if I look at that list, if I'm not mistaken, Academy Award winners. Zendaya will present. And, uh, of course, we've got a lot of uh, heavyweight uh, contenders, and we're going to get into that as well. So some of the Oscar presenters have been announced. There's always a couple of, of surprises. It's interesting because there are some stars who don't go to the Oscars if they don't have something that's up for an Academy Award. Or uh, if they don't have something to promote or sometimes they're filming. So it used to be you always could count on, for example, Jack Nicholson would be in the front row and Jack is retired now. I'm sure they still invite him, but you don't see him anymore. So it's kind of a a different group every year, which is kind of cool. But um, it's always fun to see who's going to present, which I want to talk, use that as my segue to talk about uh, the SAG Awards, which were just about a week ago. And they were on Netflix. Now, uh, Netflix has done live entertainment before. Remember uh, Chris Rock, I think it was called Selective Outrage. His stand-up special was live. Uh, They've had a golf match, uh, some Formula One uh, events that stream live. So they've had some experience with live streaming, but not very much. And this, I I didn't even realize until just a few weeks ago that I'm like, oh, it's going to be on Netflix. Uh, it was the 30th annual SAG Awards. They're actually relatively new when you think about that from the 90s. Uh, and they're at the Shrine Auditorium, which has been around forever. They used to do a lot of the award shows uh, from the Shrine Auditorium and Expo Hall. I thought they did a great job, I have to say. Now, I don't know if anybody else had problems with buffering or any of that nonsense. It's Listen, it's not the Super Bowl. I mean, it gets some numbers, but not insane numbers. But, you know, one of the cool things is they decided because they're Netflix not to have any commercial breaks. I thought they'd at least drop in some trailers for Netflix movies. I think they made the wise decision to just go with it. So it lasted just about two hours instead of three hours. And they were celebrating the anniversaries of various uh, television shows and movies. So they had um, the entire cast of Breaking Bad pretty much. It was great to see them all together on stage. Uh, most of the grown-ups, if you will, from Modern Family, uh, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum from The Fly. And then when Meryl Streep went up there, she was joined by Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway. And it took me a second. I was like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. The Devil Wears Prada, right? So they were doing uh, references to that. That was cool. I, it, just a, just a straightforward, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, it's the same old thing. Well, there's only... If you've ever been to any award ceremony ever for anything, whether it's your kid's soccer team or your company awards, or whatever the case may be, you know, there's speeches, there's some attempts at humor, and then people get handed trophies. There's only so much you can do with that. I mean, one of the cool things the Grammys did more than, you know, a decade ago, years ago, they pivoted from being primarily an award show to being primarily a performance show with all these great acts and a lot of times you get people that don't normally play together, you know, riffing on each other's songs and all that stuff, and they're still giving out the Grammys, but 
in particular with the Grammys, it's, it gets so confusing between song of the year, record of the year, album of the year, songwriter of the year, different categories. There's a lot, it's not as straightforward and as easy to kind of uh, categorize as the Emmys and the Oscars and even the Tonys. So one of the ways they've made it far more entertaining than it used to be is to have all these great performances. Well, you know, with, with the Screen Actors Guild, you're not going to say, and now. Here's the cast of the holdovers recreating the famous New Year's Eve scene. You, you now you can't do a lot. You can perform the musical numbers, which they do at the Oscars, but then it's going to be a parade of winners. What I love about the SAG Awards is uh, the ensembles that they, you know, they you have best actor and best actress and and things like that, and supporting performances and writing and directing. But they don't have writing. I, I and directing. I should take it back. These are these are these are acting awards. That's why they call it the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, so it's all performers. It's television and and movies. What I do love, though, is uh, when they uh, award ensembles. So the entire cast of The Bear goes up there, and everybody gets one of those trophies. And then the entire cast of Oppenheimer. I don't know why the Academy Awards doesn't recognize that. Everybody goes on and on and on about how uh, it takes a village to make a movie. You've got 200 people in cast and crew, Almost every actor ever who wins an award thanks their uh, supporting actors, their co-stars, and everybody they worked with, and most of the best movies when you think about it. I mean, there's some that are very much individual showcases, and there's only they call them two-handers when there's only two main characters. And still, you know, there's still ensembles. There's always going to be a few other characters. But you look at you know, a movie like Gravity. It's 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 Sandra Bullock and George Clooney are leaving Las Vegas. It's uh, Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue primarily. But when you think of so many of the greatest films of all time, you know, The Godfather immediately springing to mind. It's the fact that that you go 12 deep on the call sheet and there's still great actors giving great performances. So I don't know. The Academy, you got to you got to get with the times, reward the ensembles, reward the stunt people and reward the casting directors. Add some categories. But anyway, that's it for the SAGs. Uh, I also wanted to mention the Independent Spirit Awards. Now, they used to be, you know, pretty much on the fringe. A lot of people now know about the Independent uh, Spirit Awards. Uh, they used to hold them. I went for years on the Saturday right before the Oscars. And they, they, they put up these cool tents just off the, the ocean in Santa Monica. They had like a purple carpet or a blue carpet. Uh, people dressed, but not super uh, dressy. It was very much like the Golden Globes in terms of like tables and lunches and open bar. Everybody was kind of loose and fun. I had a blast uh, whenever I'd go to the Independent Spirit Awards and they would really, you know, reward independent films. I don't know what that means anymore because now sometimes you'll see some pretty major movies up for Independent Spirit Awards and then others don't qualify. I don't know what all the ramifications and rules are. I do want to sing the praises of Nick Offerman, the great Nick Offerman, who put his, his, his acceptance speech to great use at the Independent Spirit Awards. He wanted to talk about the backlash to, there, I guess there was some homophobic backlash to his uh, appearance in uh, The Last of Us. It was a kind of self-contained episode, one of the great episodes of all time. Uh, let's take a listen to what Nick Offerman had to say. Wow, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Film Independent. Uh, I... Uh, I'm astonished to be in this category, which is bananas. Um, congrats to all of you. Uh, this is crazy. Um, thanks to HBO 
for having the guts to participate in this storytelling tradition that is truly independent, uh, stories with guts that when homophobic hate comes my way and says, why did you have to make it a gay story? Uh, we say, because you ask questions like that, it's not a gay story, it's a love story, you, you asshole. Um, So more of that. Neil Druckmann, Craig Mazin wrote this thing. Uh, Peter Hoare directed it. Murray Bartlett planted the strawberries. And that is not a euphemism. <laughs> Thank you to my mom and dad and, and my agents at UTA, but most importantly, my bride, my puzzle coach, and legal property, Megan Mullally. <laughs> I love you forever. Thank you so much. Just brilliant, powerful stuff. You got to love that. Edie Bryant was the host. Another thing they did uh, with the Independent Spirit Awards is they have gender-neutral acting categories now. So you have six performance categories, only three for film and three for TV now. And I understand the intent behind this, but as we've mentioned before, all you're doing there is making it more difficult for somebody to win. So. Best Lead Performance, you've got Jessica Chastain for Memory, Greta Lee for Past Lives. I'm just going to list some of the nominees. Natalie Portman for May, December, but also Andrew Scott, All of Us Strangers. Uh, the winner was Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction, which is great. I'm glad to see him win. He's not going to win the Best Actor at the Oscars. And then Best Supporting Performance, you have Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction. You have Anne Hathaway for, for Eileen. You've got uh, Martin Ireland for Eileen. You got Charles Melton for May, December, but then you got Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers and Divine Joy Randolph was the winner. So, you know, even in the breakthrough category, I would go for the traditional two gender categories. If people want to enter themselves in one or the other, I think that's perfectly acceptable and they're right. But for best breakthrough performance, why not have two categories? Why not share the riches a little bit? Anyway, awards are abounding. Uh, the next podcast, we're actually going to talk about uh, the Oscars, and I'll do my annual thing where I give you guys my full Oscar ballot in case you're in a contest with somebody. We'll do that with the next podcast. As for this podcast, we got to talk about Dune Part 2 and some other stuff coming your way. But first, let's talk about Portillo's. Let's talk about Portillo's. Now, they, of course, are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. And then, of course, there's the legendary chocolate cake. If you're hearing this right now, that means you are alive and near a computer. That's all you got to be. That's all you need to go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff you can get anywhere in these United States of America. Now, if you're blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about getting online. Just go to the store, get the hot dogs, get the Italian beef, the salads, the chicken. They got it great. And then, of course, the chocolate cake, the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of humanity. You think I'm overstating that? I am not. Go and find out yourself. Go to the store, order online. Unbelievable, the chocolate cake. And they even have a cake shake. They take the cake, they smoosh it into a can with some super cool ingredients. I don't know, they do a bunch of stuff. There's ice cream, and all of a sudden you got a chocolate cake shake. When it comes out of the blender, it's the best. It is a unique 
dining experience every time. Go to Portillo's.com, find a location near you. You can order online. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S, Portillo's.com. In the shadows of Arrakis lie many secrets, but the darkest of them all may remain. The end of House Atreides. Your father didn't believe in revenge. What if Paul Atreides were still alive? Gave them something to hope for. That's not hope! May thy knife chip and shatter. All right, that's a little audio from Dune Part 2, the sequel to Dune, which was a reboot of a film from back in the 80s, which was an adaptation of a Frank Herbert, a very dense and kind of crazy. Uh, but wildly popular novel. Uh, the original Dune, or I should say the, the new Dune from a few years ago, won six Academy Awards in a lot of technical categories. It blew people away. It left things open, of course, for a sequel. Now we have Dune Part 2, and I have the same reaction to Dune Part 2 that I had to the, the first Dune from a few years back. It is spectacular to behold. I think come next year, it'll be nominated once again for editing and cinematography, uh, special effects, maybe definitely the sound design. All of that is incredibly impressive. I saw this. You should let me know. You can always email me at rroper at suntimes.com or hit me up on Twitter, Richard E. Roper at Richard E. Roper. I'm kind of curious as to what you guys think about this because I saw it at a screening at one of those Dolby uh, theaters where they do the uh, seat transducers, they call them. That's when the seats rumble in sync with the action on the screen. I know some people say that's just annoying and intrusive. I've seen other movies where it kind of bothered me. I kind of liked it here. And to invoke the cliche, you definitely have to see these Dune movies on the biggest screens possible. Don't, you know, listen, I, I've said this before, something like the holdovers. I think you should see everything in the theaters, but you see the holdovers on your iPad or smart tablet or whatever on a plane, you're going to get the holdovers. It's a character driven period piece. Don't watch it. On your, I don't think you should watch anything on your phone, but uh, you know, I could see that or certainly on your desktop or, or laptop. Uh, but with these Dune movies, man, they're made for the big screen. It's, they're glorious to look at. Uh, I do think the plot is really dense and also sort of heavy handed. And it's a lot of, uh, stuff we've had explored in zillions of movies about, uh, the dangers of blind faith in a leader and how, when someone does uh, get power, they sometimes get drunk with that power and, uh, you know, a lot of New Testament stuff really in there. It's also kind of batshit crazy. And I guess that's fine. I mean, so are the Star Wars movies and a lot of other, you know, stuff like this. You kind of just go with it. But, I mean, when you when you take a step back, you know, in Dune Part 2, you know, they have a lot of it set on uh, Arrakis. That's the desert planet, a.k.a. Dune, uh, where they got those sandworms. Remember the sandworms are these giant creatures the size of, like, uh, locomotives. And then they got all those rows of teeth. And they're super fast. They can swallow up like entire neighborhoods. 
Uh, but then all of a sudden, uh, some of the Freeman people can uh, mount and ride these sandworms. I don't know how they train for that. So it's like the Khaleesi all of a sudden with their dragons. Uh, and then you've got uh, Rebecca Ferguson. She plays Lady Jessica. She's uh, from that weird cult of witchy nuns, right? And she's the mother of Paul Atreides. That's uh, Timothy Chalamet's character. And now she's pregnant with a girl, a baby girl. And the fetus can communicate telepathically with uh with her mom and her brother which is kind of crazy and then uh you've got the great Stellan Skarsgård who plays uh that Baron Harkonnen that giant hulking uh Jabba the Hutt monstrous dude um and he also has this this thing where he can levitate but when he levitates it's it kind of looks like he's um He's in one of those hot air balloon festivals as an entrant. You know, it's not, it's more goofy than scary. And then there's a thing called the water of life. It looks like blue Gatorade or icy blue sport drink. And if you drink it, it's, it can kill you, but it also can give you the memories of everybody you've ever known. I mean, dude, guys, there's, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in these Dune movies. Uh, and then you've got in, in part two, you've got a romance uh, between uh, the Timothy Chalamet character and the Freeman Warrior, played by Zendaya. Uh, we have the introduction of the uh, some new characters, including Florence Pugh as this princess. Christopher Walken is her father, the Emperor. Uh, there's some gladiator-type uh, fighting that's really cool that goes on. Javier Bardem returns. Austin Butler shows up as the nephew of the Floating Baron. And I want to congratulate Austin Butler because he has finally shed the Elvis accent. He's very good here. So a lot of great action, tons of exposition. These films go at their own pace. They're, they're always visually stunning, but there are moments where you're like, wow, they almost almost turn to the camera and explain things. And after well over two hours of Dune Part 2, it sets us up for the third movie in the trilogy, which isn't a guarantee, but probably is going to happen. But you know, you've got A-list director, huge casts, uh, big budgets. So the movie has to do not just pretty well, but very well so that you can get all the pieces together. Because as far as I know, they, they didn't like say, okay, we'll film two parts. You know, they do that a lot of times with these huge movies. They'll film part two and part three at the same time while they got everybody together, or, you know, even part one or part two and part two. So uh, it's, it's kind of a three-star review for me for Dune. I've seen some raves. And you got to be be cautious, folks. When you see the first Twitter reviews or so, first social media reviews from advance uh, screenings, those people you're hearing from in most cases are entertainment journalists and bloggers and YouTubers, not necessarily, and nothing wrong with that, but they're not necessarily film critics. So you'll see it even with you know horrible movies like Madam Web, where there's a lot of raves or at least mixed reviews early on and almost the same kind of verbiage. And then you'll get uh, the reviews. And I did say, I don't know who did this. And I, I don't get into like bickering and uh, nitpicking and all that shit with other critics. But I did see somebody said it was uh, maybe the greatest sequel of all time, the greatest part two. And I'm like, you know, Godfather part two. I don't think it's even as worthy as, you know, Toy Story 2 in terms of being a sequel that matches the original. A lot of hyperbole, but it is, a, it is a really good and beautiful film. Now, another film that gets into kind of existential debates and 
all these kind of whimsical, not whimsical, I should say, but ethereal and spiritual and uh, sci-fi territory. It's called Spaceman. Six months in isolation. You start thinking too much. I'm getting interference. I did not intend to frighten you, skinny human. Do not be afraid. I'm losing my mind. Your loneliness intrigued me. Why are you here? I might be of help. I wish to assist you in your emotional distress. I don't need your help. But you do. I just want to come home. And it stars, are you ready for this? Adam Sandler. That's right. It's a drama starting, starring uh, Adam Sam Sandler. It's a Netflix movie. Um, you know, if you look at Adam Sandler's career, it's 30 years in the making now. There's no denying his enduring popularity. He's had some ebbs and flows, but you know, he's got this new deal, relatively new deal with Netflix and, and he does these goofy comedies and stuff, but it's a hugely lucrative deal because he gets tens of millions of viewers. He makes money for people, including himself. So you go back and you look at Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and Grown Ups, and it goes on and on and on. But let's also remember that for more than 20 years, Adam Sandler has been showing his versatility in movies like Punch Drunk Love and Spanglish and The Cobbler and Uncut Gems, where he was brilliant, nomination-worthy work. Hustle, which has kind of got overlooked, but I thought was terrific. So now he's in Spaceman, which clearly falls into the latter category. This is a drama. Uh, it's a psychological, trippy, uh, at sometimes uh, almost ludicrous and absurd uh, story. Adam Sandler plays Jacob. He's a Czech astronaut who has been in space for 189 days. He's gone uh, farther into space than any space traveler in history because there's this mysterious cluster of purple particles floating in the sky above earth and they got to find out what this thing is and it's way up there near uh, jupiter they call it the chopra cloud they think the particles there could have the keys to the beginning of life itself but he's all up there all alone adam sandler as jacob and after six months he's starting to lose it uh carrie mulligan plays his pregnant wife lenka who is no longer answering the phone for their daily video calls. She's going through a crisis of her own. She feels like uh, Jacob has left her long before he left for outer space. And then, this is no spoiler alert, because you're going to see this in all the trailers or you already have, a giant spider suddenly materializes on the spacecraft, and it seems to be a super intelligent arachnid, and it can speak English, and he's voiced by Paul Dano, who's the perfect choice for that, because Paul Dano's always playing uh, strange characters who speak in kind of disturbingly monotonous tones, almost like uh, Hal in 2001, A Space Odyssey, where he's like, Dave, what are you doing, Dave? And uh, he strikes up this sort of relationship with this spider who's an interstellar traveler who has some insights into what the giant cloud particles are all about. 
Now, the question is, of course, is this, uh, he, and Jacob uh, eventually calls the spider Hannes, which is a name that has a certain key to his own past. Now, the question is, of course, is, is, the, is the talking spider real or is it a figment of the imagination of Jacob who's going through so much? And I'm not going to give it away, but I am going to tell you that I really like this film. I admired the bold stance it took. And it's actually got a lot of uh, beautiful and deep things to say about the way humans interact with each other and how sometimes, you know, we've got somebody we love right in front of us and we don't know how to connect with them. And for Jacob, it was almost easier to go 500 million miles in space than to really be open with his wife. And that's just so heartbreaking because what's going to happen if he makes it home? We're not sure he's going to make it home. But what if he comes home and he's this world hero who has discovered the greatest things in, you know, that have ever been discovered about the origins of the universe, but he doesn't know his wife and a soon-to-be-born child? Heavy stuff, good stuff. We're going to leave it at that with those two for you guys. Thank you for listening. Next podcast uh, will be out uh, just before the Oscars. So we'll go through our predictions in the major categories, but also fill out the entire ballot. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk soon. <laughs>